Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. All right, welcome to episode 19, Growing Up Fire. I got the Zebedee clan here with me here in High River, sitting in the uh, the older part of the new fire hall. We'll get to that and talk about that. But uh, this family I've known since 2013. Uh, a lot of friends sitting in here with me. So we got Cody, the current fire chief, Len, the, the old retired fire chief, and uh, Mrs. Chief, the retired Mrs. Chief. So uh, we got lots of good stuff here. So this is uh, father-son, right? Father was the fire chief for a long time. Now the son's the fire chief, and the mom's still the mom. So she'll be telling us all stories about these guys. But uh, so thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Um, we've been kind of touring around the new station, checking everything out. And uh, I have my head is just swimming with the million things that I want to talk to you guys about here tonight. And this hasn't been easy to set up, right? So it, Len, in retirement, you're busier now than you ever were as the fire chief, right? <laughs> Cody's got, uh, you know, you're the fire chief and the project manager and the general contractor and the janitor and the yard cleanup guy tonight when I pulled up and... Uh, <laughs> So a couple, a couple things, right? Three kids. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Which, funny how that turns into the easy part all of a sudden, exactly. right? That shouldn't be how it is. You got a lot going on here, right? I will tell you, I haven't been back. Uh, well, I was last time I was here, you were in the Echo trailer down on the far end of the building. Yeah. Um, we had a bit of a meeting, and then with COVID, it's all been computers and phones and crap, right? But uh, we're getting through that. I'm happy to be here, happy to be somewhat out of COVID and able to do this stuff with you guys. So Len, let's start with you, right? You're kind of the big leader in all this whole fire stuff in your family, I assume. So when did you start firefighting? Uh, I started uh, October 1974 as a volunteer. Uh, it all started, I was working as a at the Ford dealership at the time, and uh, the fire chief at the time had gone around all the business. They were looking for new volunteer recruits, and he'd gone to my boss and ask if he had anybody that could volunteer with the fire department and within his organization and my boss walked out on the shop floor and pointed at me and said yeah you're going to a meeting tonight yeah. at the fire you're young you're a good guy <laughs> you're voluntold, you're voluntold. So that's <laughs> kind of how it started out in you know, first part of october 1974. you know that's kind of like that's growing up fire it's literally what this podcast about is how do we get involved in this stuff? And there's always, so was there any other generations before you that were firefighters in your family? No, there wasn't. So and you're, you're Gen 1? Gen 1, and, and I never thought at that point I would ever be interested in firefighting. I was working as a life or a apprentice technician on the bench at the Ford dealership and uh, had just got married or was getting married that month as well. I had no idea you were marrying Mrs. Chief at that time. Right? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> she <laughs> was right from the start. <laughs> well, we dated through high school, and uh, and again, I was 19 years old when I started, and it just kind of went from there. And honestly, like so often, that's how it starts, right? It's uh, we need help, right? And so that volunteer system, it's changed, of course, over time, and we'll, we'll get to all that. But back then, it was like... You know, you're young, you obviously can do the job, you're, you know, you're mechanically inclined because of the kind of job you have. And so it's no surprise that someone said, hey, can you be a firefighter? Do you want to be a firefighter, right? So what, you come to the first practice, you've been voluntold to be there. So that's weird, right? Did you know anyone that was at the fire hall or? Most of the men, um, a lot of more businessmen around the town and, and I'd known for years because it's still a small town. 
at that time. At that yeah. time, you know, there was 3,500 people. You pretty well knew everybody, and uh, and of course we worked on a lot of people's cars that were on the fire department. And so it was, yeah, it was it was pretty easy to walk into the group at that time. But again, you were still kind of the outsider coming in and had lots to learn. All the Ford guys are like, hey, it's Lynn. All the Chev guys are like, who cares? A- <laughs> and, and the Ford dealership was about two blocks away from the old fire hall oh, at the time. Okay. So whenever the siren went off, I used to run from the Ford dealership across the railroad tracks to the fire hall. And so because your boss had voluntold you, I... I assume that you had a lot of support to go to these fire calls yeah. and, and help out, which is nice, right? So yeah. it's kind of one of the pieces today that's missing in the volunteer part. All of a sudden now we pay you to work, so work. You know, it's like community second versus it sounds like your boss at the time was like, yeah, we're all about the community and we'll find you somebody. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and that's the way it was. You know, they still paid my wage at the Ford dealership, even though I was out fighting fire for, for whoever. And most of our fires at that time were... Still out in the MD, very few town fires. We had the odd one, but still not. doing like tractor fires and hay bales yeah. and barns and houses, field and fires and that fields. sort of thing. Yeah. So that, that was the majority of our fires at, at that time in those years. What do you think, like 1974? What do you think the call volume was in High River, Alberta? Oh, if we got 15 calls a year, and again, we didn't have smoke detectors throughout the, the community, so we never got false alarm smoke detectors. Very few of those. You get the odd one at schools where somebody light a match and so, but nothing ever really ever serious yeah. in a small community. And in about '75, we got into the rescue, going on the highway with the rescue equipment. It all started with our ambulance service buying the first set of jaws, and they were going to run them themselves with two people in an ambulance and do the patient care and they discovered that that wasn't going to work <laughs> the, the math was bad so then they ended up uh, turning their equipment over to the fire department and taking it on as a rescue so we did so is that the old like kinman tool the electrical variety all the kinman tool no it was a hearst oh and, it was like those and yeah, so got it. Those big badass, like yeah. took two men and a small when child. When it had like the cutters that strapped onto the end of the spreaders, <laughs> and you better have a set of arms on you to hold it. <laughs> I remember those. Yeah, we had them at the fire school, and it was like, I, I need help. Let's get some more firefighters here. And of course, being the fire department outside the city, the only one that had a set of jaws, we covered from city limits all the way down to Fort McLeod at that time. So the equipment sat in the fire hall, and you know the fire chief at the time would he had a half ton he run up with his half ton we'd load it and away we'd go most times it was it was never really rescuing people it was more body removal at that time because the cars were big enough and tough enough that you either survived or you didn't yeah they, they don't didn't, didn't crumple quite the way they do today to save people <laughs> two immovable forces crashing into each other at 100 kilometers an hour so we had our challenges for sure. Made a lot of our own equipment too, cutting tools to cut into panels and right. different. So you're a firefighter, 1974. Kind of take me through the progression. So how long were you a firefighter before you got to be an officer? 74 until about 81 when we moved up to the fire hall here, and we kind of expanded down a little bit, and I became the training officer and. 80, 1980 for the fire department. So I started doing a lot of the training, took a lot of the courses myself. Okay. The training for you then was like at the Alberta Fire Training School? Some was. We didn't have a big budget to send anybody, so we had to take it on our own dime. 
and go to Vermilion to the fire school. So we didn't do a lot of that, but we did a lot of in-house province. Brian McAvoy was with Calgary Fire. So he, he come down, well, Brian McAvoy did a lot of our training for us. We'd come down from the Alberta Fire Prevention Office on at Calgary and do our training. So that was always good, and he, we got a lot of training. We did a lot of in-house training. You know, we I think back then, and, and it really was like in house back then, right? Yeah. Like for somebody to go get all of their 1001 was unheard of. Um, like Absolutely. now it's unheard of not to have it, but back then it was like that was a monumental thing and a lot of your own money and your own time yeah. off work and your own. So, and and it was like what 12 courses or something, right? All those yeah. different parts to take. And well, it depends on when you started, right? Yeah, because when I started, it was a mess. Oh yeah, because it was we went from the parts to the S to the series, series to the, have to take the full. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast just on just, what a oh. mess the government made the training system for sure, <laughs> and continues it's to. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny how this always turns into a bit of government bashing on this podcast. Hmm. But again, when I started, we had the long black coats, tall boots, and rubber gloves with uh cotton mittens or whatever you could find well, that's how you that stuff's super sexy i mean yeah. i mean if nothing else you were looking good <laughs> as a and fiberglass fire helmets of black old black ones i think there's still some kicking around here it was <laughs> i had a friend tell me there the plastic wasn't much thicker than the ones we give the kids today no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> and uh we didn't have an air pack at all so we used to wrap towels wet towels around our face when we had a structure fire and you go in and or you just went in without anything. You come out yeah. and you blew black soot out of your nose for a week. And <laughs> what bad could come from that? <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start to smoke because everybody around you smoking. So now you're smoking and you come out of the fire and first thing you do is light a cigarette. Yeah, so that's super healthy. Yeah. But those were the days. When yeah. Well, Backdraft made that cool, though, yeah. man, in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you call them smoke eaters, I guess that's exactly what we were because we didn't the the air. We did finally get some Globe air packs that were donated from an oil company, and they were oxygen bottles. Pure oxygen in the cylinders. Steel. And oh, the... They're still up here. <laughs> but they were old, and, and we used a, a pure oxygen cylinder we got from a welding shop to fill them. And that was our first air packs we got. Yeah. So Strap this bomb on your back and go in there. You'll breathe better till you blow up. <laughs> so, needless to say, we didn't use them a lot. We did train with them, but yeah. we didn't use them on an actual fire, I don't think. Not that I could remember. It's so cool to listen to the stories, right? Like how it progresses. Because I always complained that I had to use an old Scott 2A with the big trunk on it. And they're like, what a stupid air pack, blah, blah, blah. It's better than a towel, though. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> And then we had uh, the old ninth pumper uh, fire truck, and uh, so we had that. And and they had bought a 1970 Ford cab over 750 pumper, so that was our other town truck. So that was the new badass, state-of-the-art modern pumper. Yeah, a midship, uh, <laughs> mid with the control panel up top, and yeah. uh, and then the MD in 1974 bought us a new front mount international. With a thousand gallon water tank, we thought we were in heaven. Oh, was that with like the lever at the front to engage the pump engage onto the? Pump. Yeah. Sure, yeah. There was a lot of those right around Alberta when I first started. There, those things were just kind of getting old enough to get traded out. So I saw a lot of those yeah. um, around the country for sure. Still see quite a few of those in Saskatchewan as you mm -hmm. drive around or rural Manitoba. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were a popular truck back then to have that front mount. And so you go from firefighter to training officer to to a captain. Okay. And uh, was a captain from I think about eighty eighty six to ninety six. Nice. So, so captain, captain, then you were deputy chief. Yeah, and then deputy chief from eighty six to ninety six, and then when the chief at the time retired, Lark Isabel. They had a competition for the fire chief. Again, times were changing, so you had to do interviews and yeah. stuff. And there was uh, three of us that applied for the position on the fire department, and we did our interviews with the town manager, and and we got hired as part time. So okay. it started out as a part time gig for us. Um, so, <laughs> and I, and I was still working at the time. I was a service manager at the Chrysler dealership, and and. Uh, working there and so you're working full-time there and part-time here and yeah yeah we had to cross hours. the street at the time and uh and then cody come along in the early 80s there 83 is he right did he guess right he did <laughs> <laughs> he still got it. mom was telling him and uh as he grew up he got to stand at the wind front window and watch me run across the street right yeah right across the from the fire hall and of course so, the siren was going we had a siren rather than pagers or anything else yeah so i think that was still on the building when the flood happened wasn't it it was yeah it was removed just after the flood actually because i think when we were here i remember yeah. us talking about it because our guys were still talking about getting a siren and len you said to me i'll sell you one cheap you can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had a fire phone in our house for the first little while yeah yeah before we had 911 here we had like a yeah. 652 number and you would dial it, and there was a fire phone at our house, Lark's house, yeah. the hospital. Oh, and, and somebody Oliver's. answered that, and yeah. what's the and, problem? And, yeah, and then, yeah. like, mom or whoever would page it out. Yeah, well, push the button push on the, the button. phone and set the siren off. And wait like until the they got here to dispatchers. Eh? That's what I love. Like, I love that I'm sitting here with the three of you talking about fire stuff, because it's how growing up fire is, right? It's in every aspect of your life, yeah. right? You're having supper. Everyone knows we're stopping, grab the fire phone, head to the fire hall. You're glued to the window, window right? <laughs> Everybody's got their job. And then as it grows up, the, the job still morphs, right? So eventually probably you'd just come across with him and you yeah. got to be a junior firefighter and come over. And it's just... Uh, At nights, Cody would get up because, of course, the fire phone was very loud and you could hear it. So he would wake up and he would turn the lights on for his dad get ready right to out, get to, out go to go out the, the door nice nice everyone has their job <laughs> right yeah. like, yours is like click 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 and then face against the window yep. watching the Planted. mad that you can't go and when he was old enough he wanted to get right across the street just as soon as i was across but mother here would make him wait until the fire trucks were gone and he'd come over to the fire hall and, and he was about four or five years old at the time and he'd saunter across the street to the fire hall all right be honest did you take the garden hose out and pretend you were a fireman a little bit in the hall while they were gone oh and... wash floors play <laughs> absolutely yeah have a plastic helmet <laughs> yeah those guys don't even know how good i'd be exactly <laughs> no idea so then like when Cody, do you remember kind of like when's your first thought that, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be part of this. I think watching it and being a part of it, right? I mean, it's that, that whole thing of like, it was a lot of what we did, especially, I mean, being as close to the hall as we were, it was in the action all the time, right? 
you know, being able to come across for calls, that was like, that was pretty cool, you know? And I remember as a kid, like five, six, sitting in the old radio room downstairs and I'd come home and I couldn't even see because my eyes are burning so bad because everybody, there's an office, it's 10 by 10 and there's 20 guys in there hacking darts, right? And it was like, holy jeez. Yeah, but it was loved every minute of it, right? But yeah, and I mean, under the smoke, (laughs) you know, and that's how it was, right? So yeah, I think that was probably fairly young, I I would say. And then, you know, in in 97, we created a junior program here and that's how I kind of got started. And then actually uh, one of my captains right now, Rod Keller, he actually started the year after as a junior. And, and I mean, he's still here to this day, right? Same thing. His dad was on the fire. Department. No, his dad oh, had no. nothing to do with it. We just, we knew Rod and his dad for years, right? Like all my life I've known Rod. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of chatted and I'm like, yeah, you should come. It's pretty awesome, right? And so he showed up and yeah. And I mean, like I said, he's one of my captains. So the peer here. pressure worked even he's, for kids, right? The exactly. teenagers. And the... so Pat, when, like, when did you think, oh, well, Cody, will be just like Len and head into the fire service. From day one, yeah. really, I did. I just, I mean, especially when he would sit in the living room window and watch his dad run across the street, I thought, okay, this kid is going to, that's what he's going to, he's meant to be. I love it, right? And even like when we first came here and I first met you in 2013, I really thought like you guys, it was kind of like a map to what it would be like in my family, right? I could kind of, you guys were ahead of us 12 or 15 years or whatever, but I could kind of see the progression going through. And I even often bug my own kid and I try not to, this is a podcast, he's going to hear this, but I try not to say it to him too much. I think he'll be way better than I ever was, right? He got that head start that I never, I didn't start firefighting until I was 18. He started when he was 14. And, you know, the training is so much better and everything's better. So I'm not saying, Len, that he's better than you as a fire chief, but they, they got a lot of head starts that we didn't get, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, you know, when I started, we didn't have a budget for the fire department. If we needed something, we went to the town manager um, back in the early 70s and said, we need a chunk of fire hose or whatever. And they would look around the budget to find it on somebody else's budget because we didn't have a budget. So we never actually had a budget until 1996. And I made the first fire department budget in 96 for the fire department. And we had still the same old equipment, you know, the 47 Ford, the 70 Ford. And the 74 in international. the 90s, you still had the 47. We, we still were using that 47 Ford 250-gallon-per-minute bumper on it. Well, it still works. Maybe we'll get that thing fired up for you, Cody. Exactly. Get that into the fleet. And <laughs> it still runs today. It's uh, well, Probably helped that you were a mechanic, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the uh, Rotary Club has kind of taken it over and uses it as a, plate or a parade truck. And oh, nice. So it's, it's still being used. Uh, and going places with the Rotary Club. So, uh, so. junior fire program fires up. You're down here now. Like, you're legit, right? Like yeah. it, now you're not faking it. You're not sh- <laughs> showing up after. You're you're part of the deal. And that went on like so. Fourteen, you were. Yeah, fourteen. Uh, right till I was eighteen, basically. And it as I got older, like around that sixteen, seventeen is when I was kind of allowed to start going on calls. So typically, what would happen when you're 14 you were never allowed to go on the call right Fair. however if it was a grass fire and they're out there kicking cow crap 
they'd be like, hey, Skippy, get in the truck. Yeah, Let's we, go, right? I need another Calcrap kicker. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? So you go out and do that for hours yeah. on end. And you thought it was the best thing ever, right? Of course, right? of course, yeah. Absolutely. At school, you're like, you know what I did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I burnt my pants, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, when I turned 18, then it was, you know, then it was a, a full active member and, um, yeah, and just kind of carried on from there. And I worked at the Ford dealership as well, actually, as an automotive tech. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do anything, I want to be a mechanic. I like tinkering. So started there. And then um, a neighbor across the street actually had an oil and gas company. He's like, hey, you want a job? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it kind of beats working on these things. So went and worked oil and gas for a year. And then um, High River opened up for a full-time spot in 2005. And so I applied and I was like, oh, this, we'll see. I, I mean, I'm, what was I, like 20, 21, something like that, whatever it was. I'm like, there's no way. Right. And, uh, so anyways, I ended up getting it and, uh, yeah. And I mean, my career, I was like, probably, I want to say 2001. So I just turned 18 and I was actually a, a Lieutenant at that point. And then that was back in volunteer days. And then I was a captain probably 2003, 2002, yeah. something like that. And how it used to be there was the, the old timers, like the officer group, they'd vote you in. And if you didn't get enough votes, you weren't getting the position, right? There was no interviews or anything. It was all on yeah. what kind of guy were you, yeah, right? Exactly. That was kind of interesting. So I was a, I, I was an officer, if you want to call it that, really young. Again, not knowing anything. I mean, yeah. I think back to it, I'm like, I had no idea. Not like today, right? right? Where it's all like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, even uh, I was laughing last week because we were talking about the recruitment process and and how hard it is to be a firefighter today mm-hmm. versus, you know, well, like when you're at work and all of a sudden you're going to be a firefighter <laughs> and you watch it your whole life. So you start your first day and, and mine, I got drunk at a party and said, I'd like to be a fireman and end up being a fireman. Right. So we all have our growing up fire story, <laughs> but uh, today it's so different. It's so competitive, so hard well, to, but, e- but even then back then the, the major group of firefighters that were here volunteers here at the time you were still put on a three-month probation to see how you kind of fit in with silent vote they had a box with white marbles and black marbles and they each got one of each and if you they put their black marble in or their white white was good you stayed black you were blackballed out so depending on how they did it drop their whatever ball they go into the room, drop whatever ball in, and at the end of it, they flip the lid and count the white, count the black. If they had more whites, you were in. If you had more blacks, you were blackballed out. I might steal that one from you. <laughs> start walking around the fire hall with a couple marbles in my hand. Throw those out and see how it is. How is that? But, but yeah, that's how, how you really right. got on the fire department after three-month probation type thing yeah. with the, the group. And it was the whole membership that voted on you yeah. that was there. So it wasn't just that's one person. That's a lot of marbles to give firefighters. Yeah. And all kind of shenanigans went on with those marbles over the years. But remember, we owned, there was only 12 or 14 of us right, okay. at the time. So it wasn't a big organization either. Uh, so it was important. At 12 or 14 people, you got to fit in. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Fit in or beat it. Blackballed out. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how we got into it, and, or I got into it, and I never looked back. And, of course, watching Cody over the years as his growth and and i look at how much more he's done in his career in a short time and where he's you know had to tr- been able to get the training 
than we never had those opportunities. He's had greater opportunities because we did have a budget to start sending firefighters to Vermilion and come back and train other guys. and Started having courses, right? Like not just about firefighting, but about mentorship and leadership and how to be an officer and how to, you know, I still, I travel around being a consultant and, and stop at all these places. And, you know, there's still a lot of small places where you're like talking to a captain and say, how did you get this job? Right. Oh, I've been around the longest. So, you know, using time as a measurement to see who should be in charge yeah. is not that great of a way to do it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like balance. marbles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, uh, and, and again, you through this department, you still had to work hard to move up. You had to be committed to the department and, and uh, move it through. So, so, Pat, I mean, you grew up fire too. You're, right? I mean, you're newly married. He gets the tap from the boss to head down here. Yeah. Your kids come, and now he's going to be a firefighter. And so, I mean, there's lots of ups and downs, right, yeah. of being a... So, can you think of some, the good, the bad, and the ugly of being a Mrs. Chief? Well, he got ran over out at a field fire. And, of course, back then, we had a scanner in our house. So, but they... The guys were really cautious. They did not say his name, but you know how you get that gut feeling? I just knew that it was my spidey senses kicked in. And so they called for the ambulance, and I thought, oh, dang, this is not going to be good. It was a disker, yeah, a double disker that he got ran over by. So I'm thinking, oh, man, yeah. So anyhow, my brother is and his wife are in there, and we're sitting in the living room across the road, and the chief comes over, Lark. And I'm thinking, oh, damn, this is really not good when the chief's coming over to talk to me. So, well, they're bringing him into the hospital. I said, okay, so off we go to the hospital. Well, we beat him there. <laughs> so you're waiting for him I'm waiting up. for him to show up, and it's like, oh, man hoping they're not taking him to Calgary for some reason. But anyhow, it all turned out okay. He walked out of the hospital with crutches, and he was laid up on crutches for quite some time. But that was one of the times that sometimes you wish you didn't have a radio to listen to. (laughs) My wife used to talk about that. You know, back when we had the pagers, she'd always know the start of the call and the end when you came home, but really knew nothing in between. And then all of a sudden, when the radios were there, and she couldn't help herself. She'd have to turn it on and listen. And, you know, you could tell by our voices. Yeah. They oh, all, yeah. right? We all try to be calm, but, you know, it gets uh, some yeah, yelling yeah. happens or some, you know, you can hear that worry. And yeah. and so I always think about that now, how it's so different for all of the wives today as it was yeah. before, right? Yeah. And, you know, like when there was a fire call, it didn't matter what time of the day or night it was. Cody be little and we'd come trucking across the hall and we'd make coffee and you know if needed to we'd make sand we'd call in some ladies and we'd make sandwiches for the guys and we'd run them out to them and those are kind of those are the I guess the better memories right better where it's memories. like you, yeah. it's kind of two families you have your own family and then you have your fire farm and the longer you grow up in this and the more you're part of it 
the more that uh, that's ingrained in every single thing you do. You start to look like, so now your kids are getting older and you probably can start to see who's going to be a firefighter and who's not. And and it's funny because for the longest time, there was really not a lot of interest. And every once in a while, there'll be comments, right? About, oh, yeah, that'd be kind of a fun job. I think, you know, maybe I should do that, right? Yeah. So it's, we'll see. My own daughter, right? So my kids are 25 and 22 now. And my daughter was always like, beat it with your firefighter stuff. I'm not interested, right? No junior program, no, right? I'll play hockey, I'll swim, I'll do this other stuff. But, and now here she is in Nate taking emergency management and right into the family business. And, you know, we're doing all these contracts and she's right up to her eyeballs in it. And I just, sometimes I'll just stop and laugh at her. And she'll, I was like, you, you sound just like every single other person that works at the fire hall. Like, I hope you know that, yeah. right? The, the lingo stuck on you, even though you didn't want it to, and you tried everything yeah. to have Teflon <laughs> about the fire department, it still stuck on you and, and you still did, right? And you never know how it's going to go, right? Yeah. When it's interesting, like you talk about that fire family piece and you try and explain it to, you know, friends that aren't involved in fire you can't explain it like it's just one of those things until you're in it you don't know it right and and even to try and explain it to others about how important it is when as a fire group right the crews that are on shift how important it is for them to sit at the table and have a coffee in the morning and have that conversation there's more to it than just them sitting having a conversation about coffee it's to do with their mental health it's to do with that brotherhood it's to do with sharing the war stories and, and building those relationships is so important. It is true. As, as we we're looking around the new fire and you were showing me the, the pictures and stuff of, of having a big table. And I just thought to myself how important it is to have, you know, through COVID, the tables were all separated and the guys all had to sit far away. And, and it just wasn't the same. And now this morning I walked in and all the tables are together now again. And they're all sitting like two feet apart from each other, right? And I was like, you got, it's a big table, you guys. What are you? And they're all like around one end, like inches away, elbows are inches away from each other. And they're just like, oh, I don't know. We just like it like this, right? And I was like, I totally get it. It's cool. You're watching the Olympics and talking about everything in the world. And and uh, it's just funny to me how they miss that so much. And they're like this little, you know, it's like all the ducklings around the mom duck, right? They're all- when it's interesting how much COVID did affect some of those relationships around the station and and even our culture changed a little bit right and not that it's not going to go back but and we're starting to see it go back now that the restrictions are off and stuff like that but that was a huge hit to us right it's it's totally against everything that we do everything so you're coming you you get through the junior program you start you're working as a volunteer you get a full-time job working here so what what's that like now you're you're working for dad so it was uh, it was interesting, right? Because because Trevor Allen, who's actually my deputy chief now, yeah. was my DC at the time. Oh, right? don't worry, I'm going to get him on here. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about this. He's not off the hook yet, not for a second. So it was it was tough because I liked the hiring process because Dad and Trevor weren't actually even any part of it. They actually brought in external interviewers and everything when I got hired. So it was like that whole process because. I know he didn't want to show anything because there was never, and I, there was never any favoritism. I mean, if you're at the fire hall and there was yelling happening, it wasn't at any of the guys. It was at me. Right. You know, and I mean, you're probably this, yeah, you, you played the game. Right. And, and it wasn't that he was being a jerk to me. It was just that he wanted me to be better and he wanted me to earn my stripes. And, you know, I, I truly think that where I am today is because of it. I was harder on him than I was anybody else, but 
again, you don't want to show that what they call nepotism, which I never really agreed to or felt it was because we kept that separate. Home was home and, and work was business, right? And that's yeah. and if I needed blazes, I was getting blazes and twice as bad, right? I, I would say that to Ryan all the time, right? If you need crap, you're getting crap. If you need a pat on the back, you're, you're yeah. getting a pat on the back. But at the end of the day, it will suck working here with me as the top of it because it's kind of like when i coached him in hockey is like dad i had a good game yeah you're all right yeah. right <laughs> you know yeah. what about this and this well it's like two things you know i scored two goals and eh, let's let's just focus on the things you can do better on next time. <laughs> and that's just how it is right and and i do i i agree with you and i i'll uh, be on your dad's team on this one because we got to stick together but it's uh i do think that your kids get it harder but they also are, you know, more focused to learn the things that have to be learned. And those leadership pieces come to you more naturally because you got raised a certain way, right? That's so right. while you're sitting at that window looking out, wanting to be there, it builds that drive in you. When you're growing on fire, you're, you're getting that built into you at a young, young age, right? Yeah, so just like you're learning to read, just like you're learning your colors, you're like, oh, well, I heard on the phone that this is happening. Or did you see how they packed that hose back at the fire hall? Or you're, you're learning all of these when I can remember as a kid coming over and the guys would do rig checks twice a week and uh, and I'd always be like, you're doing it wrong. And I'd be like, you need to unpack that because that hose load ain't right, you know. And you talk to any like Dean Vincent who's still here, he's, you know, Dean was, was another one of my mentors. And I can remember Dean and he would always just start howling. He was a captain and he would just start howling when I'm giving the guys blazes about, or you miss that in a rig check, you know, whatever, right? So... But it, it was my thing, right? And uh, yeah, so, you know, and then, you know, becoming a captain and, you know, and being able to work alongside him. I mean, we certainly had our, our differences and stuff like that. But it, again, it was business was business. And he was the chief. He wasn't my dad when I was here, right? Yeah. He was the chief. Oh, right? some of the worst fights Ryan and I ever had were followed up by family barbecues for yeah. birthdays right? or Christmas. And that's exactly or, what it is, 100%. Right? Leave it at the fire hall. Next day yeah. we go in, he still wouldn't talk to me, and I'd be like, you're only hurting yourself, bro. I don't care, <laughs> if, you, care if you ever talk to me again, <laughs> so, right? But then we'd go home and everything would be fine, right? Absolutely. And so I think there's those different dynamics too. So when you're kind of that teenager and you're living at home, you're, we're still trying to teach you how to be an adult and and a firefighter at the same time. Then later on, you know, you're a teenager, you get out of the house, you kind of start to have your own life. And then it's it's less of the father-son and more of the fire chief, firefighter there. And at home, it's just like, oh, we're happy you came for supper for visit, or for yeah. a visit yeah. or whatever, right? So it, it is tough. But I mean, at the end of the day, we just want our kids to be better than we were, right? Yeah. Have it better than we had yeah. it yeah. and all of it. Those things, yeah, so. exactly. And, and you know, you learn from all my mistakes, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and I know I made lots of them as I was moving through my process. It's funny because you, you talk about the three letters of management, right? Where you're like, blame everything on the last guy. It's a bit tougher when it's your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. You're walking around. And this truck, oh. Hi, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> what did we do? <laughs> but, but really, you know, they, they learned from my mistakes that I've made through the fire service. And, uh, you know, a good example was the Rosenbauer fire truck that we ended up with. That, yeah, you're not allowed to say Rosenbauer on here. Now I have to have to, have to, have to, have to, have to hit the, the swear button. <laughs> well, first fire truck, the new fire truck. That, uh, 
So yeah, that was uh, one of those learning processes, and and that was a mistake. I don't think I listened well enough to my guys yeah. at the time. It was kind of my first kick at the cat at yeah. like, building a, yeah. a fire truck, and didn't have a lot of mentorship before me. So and wasn't sure all these guys had all their knowledge neither so it's that's that stack of bodies left behind us they all are ghosts in yeah. our closet yeah. some are called Rosenbauer, <laughs> or some are called other things <laughs> so yeah there was there was things like that but uh it was all good and can you believe he said Rosenbauer? i know Cody? right twice now maybe twice. three times like i'm all fired up now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that guy <laughs> No, it's fun. I mean, just sitting down in the bay, right? Talking about that truck, talking about the Pierce trucks, talking about, you know, what kind of ladder truck to buy now. Kind of, I actually really love, you know, I think you said it was a 1947 Ford, the first one, right? And so, like, think of that as a fire truck. You had a 1947 Ford midship fire truck. And we to rode on the back bumper. Right? Yeah, those were good times, though, right? Yeah. It was around the corner and you were hanging on the rail like you see in the cartoons, your feet were hanging out. I can even remember as kids, eh? They're they're all belted into the back, smoking a dart on the way to the fire, and you hit the tracks in the middle of town, they all jump up and jump back down. And yeah. Well, it's, and, I mean, uh, even when I started, the seatbelts weren't a thing. We ever wore seatbelts. I remember we had a 1990 with an open cab on the back. And I still remember standing up in the back of that thing as we're going down the road to a fire because you're like, oh, you can see the smoke, right? Yeah. Like sirens blaring, you can't hear a thing. Winds blowing, you know, and uh, it's like I mean, t- today I mean we had the old front mount, and I still remember going to a grass fire and riding on the top of it. We used to stretch hose off the back end of it, and we'd sit in the crow's nest of the truck and drive and fight fire. And I can't remember who it was that was driving. Anyways, drove right through the middle of this massive field fire, and it was like we couldn't breathe, we couldn't see. And he had it in first gear, so we're getting like 250 psi on our on the nozzle, right? So we're all we could do to hang on to it. So finally, we just we jumped off the back of the truck and let the hoses drag behind us, <laughs> and he picked us up on the next loop. <laughs> you know, but I mean, yeah. you would never think to do that now. It's so weird that they put OHS rules in for us, eh? Right? I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's so different today. I uh, I think about that all the time. All the rules and all the maybe there was always rules. I don't know. No, the, the, the whole evolution of fire service, you know, was a gradual progress and still is today. It, yeah. It's evolving as we talk here tonight. Yeah, it's true. You know, yeah, it changes all and, the time. And if you're not willing as a leader to to follow those changes and go with it, right, you're then you're in trouble. You bet. Yeah, it won't you take know. long. So what's uh, so Cody back to being your father's son and the new chief around here what what's that shadow like does it still is the shadow still cast or the shoes still big to fill the shoes are big to fill for sure you know i mean and you look at a lot of chiefs now i mean where do you go that you see a chief that's been in the same department that he started in and a chief for 20 plus years you know i mean it's there's not a lot anymore right i mean very rare and um you know so there's always that and it's always like that whole piece of like i want to outlast him let's go for like 24 years or something stupid like that you know and like he says you know the things have changed so much so when you know sometimes i'll call him and be like hey this is what's going on what's your thoughts and you know we start talking about it and you can kind of even see some of the changes that you know where he's been out of it now for a couple years there's things that he's like that's even a thing you know 
And when did they make that a thing? Yeah, right. So you know, so it's interesting to and but it's good to be able to lean on somebody every once in a while too. And you when you get the head scratchers, right? I always the kids always bug me and they talk about old man strength, right? That's where you're trying to get that bolt off or something, and then they say, "Hey, can you do it?" And they're all like gym rats and CrossFitters, and I just walk over there and right got the old the 50 year old old man strength and and uh i i still think that part of that is in the brain as well right where you can call up and just look at it the more years you put behind you the more you look at it differently than before right and so i reach out to guys from across the country that uh you know each different i'd say 10 years of generation depending on what i'm looking for right Mm -hmm. so when we talk about firefighter pay for example paid on call right the older guys will be like i could care less about that just whatever pay us whatever and then you kind of get to the middle age ones where they're like oh well yeah it's you know i don't want it to cost me a bunch of money to be here i want to be able to and then you get to the kids that got to figure out how to pay their car payment and their phone payment and they want to get paid and they want it to be more so it's there's always those generational things and it's fun to have people that you could reach out to and say you know what do you think of this what do you think of that the truck's a great example where you hit it hit it on the mark a few times and you missed a couple times. And so you learn from all of those. So when you're buying a new truck, you reach out to your buddies, right? In the process we're in in Chestermere right now, it's the same thing. So mm-hmm. we're down at Calgary fleet looking at, you know, you could look at 10 different kinds of trucks while you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking at your trucks tonight. I was over looking at Oak Tokes not that long ago. And, and, uh, the guys are just like, what? Like, I don't understand. Why are you going everywhere and looking at everything? And you know, why, why did you stop it? you know, almost 400 firehalls across Canada now. Like, it seems like more than you need to do. And it's like, yeah, but it it was like a complete game changer for me, right? So, which kind of leads me to the point of like how we all met, right? 2013, catastrophic floods in the South. We're over at Siksika, First Nation, helping those guys out. Met some beauties over there, Tom Littlechild, Stacey Dewar. And then they say to us, hey, we want you guys to go over to High River. And uh, they've been like severely impacted by flooding. Of course, we've been kind of watching it on TV for a couple of weeks. And, and uh, I can't remember what it was, but like a large percentage of your firefighters were affected by the, including both of you. Yeah, 95%. Right. And so they told us that and we're like, oh, wow. Okay. So go over there and help them while they try to deal with this. And so uh, we shoot over here. And uh, to this day, I'm super thankful that Len, you and I just, hit it off and talked and it was like you're like i always say you got two choices you could be like get the hell out of my fire hall or you could step forward and shake someone's hand you're definitely a handshake guy but uh you know it wasn't everyone wasn't in love with everything that was happening it's high stress high emotions high i remember us going by your place cody seeing how yeah, when i was at heritage point how right and but then going by your house oh, right house, yeah, here yeah. and then some of the guys mm-hmm. Uh, sneaking by your dad's place to have a look there right and and just like so that level of devastation and trying to you know deal with your own personal how am i going to rebuild this how am i going to get through this how's this all going to work while you're trying to run different fire departments and be part of everything and so i i just remember i think i was here for about a week and then uh went to vegas (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shouldn't tell you that <laughs> but uh it was i think i'd been on the road for three weeks so i was like i'm going to vegas so i went there and, and the whole time just thinking about you know the chaos left behind so we'd had the fires in 2011 which is kind of why they sent us here and it was like we were super excited to pay it forward with all that because you remember what it's like right Absolutely. everybody's helping you out and reaching out and that piece 
overpowered. It, it, yeah. it was a big challenge to see it all happening come together and and how it was gonna how we were gonna all fit, but it it did. And yeah, like you said, it took up three days, but everybody seemed to fit in nicely after, and we got or more organized and plans that yeah. uh, helped. To start, you just want to be part of it, right? So that, you know, your firefighters did all the rescues and did all the chaos and then had to deal with all, like, different levels of flooding and, and stuff in their house. And, and I could remember, I, I would say probably the biggest job we had when we came here was to just listen. Listen to everyone and their challenges and just, uh, you know, the frustration with insurance and the, the million problems that happen after a disaster right but even pat you and i you know tucked away in the radio room having a chat about you know what's this going to look like what's the you know from your perspective not you know it for len it's really like how am i going to lead everybody out of this how are we gonna right where ours can be more personal about like how is your house going to come back together what's going to happen in your family or for you cody um you know with a a complete like your whole house was flooded and it was interesting because like I had no idea that our house was even flooded, to be honest with you, until two days after. So I sat at the radio tower, which is was, I don't know, be two blocks from my house. I'm like, huh, look at all that water over there, right? Not even cluing in is because we had we had people that we needed to rescue to some houses, not even thinking that my house was full of water. Not even if that didn't even cross my mind. And it wasn't until the one day I was like, we need a freaking coffee maker at the fire hall. Like I'll just run home and get the coffee maker. And I come around the corner and the water's coming up my hood. And I'm like, I ain't going home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, you, you mean you lived in a part of town that wasn't supposed to flood ever. I mean, the furthest just, point from the river. <laughs> yeah. Like even later when you, you walked us all through it and we look at all the maps and you know, you could see how it happened, but it certainly wasn't supposed to happen. And no, it was nothing we'd ever seen before. And, and it's here for, 95 flood 2005 2008 they were all big floods yeah. but they affected mostly the northwest side of town so we were we thought we were prepared you know with having flood tubes and sandbags and everything that we had all ready uh, put together but that day changed the our world yeah it's it's scary I remember we came here and, and uh, so like we come from a town where it floods every couple of years, minor, wherever, and then really bad every, you know, 15, 20. So we thought, oh, well, it's the flood. Like, well, but you, nothing could prepare you for what you saw when you pulled up in the high river. Yeah. Nothing. There's. I no. said it was like Armageddon. That's just what it seemed like. And I, to this day, I still hear the helicopters coming in kitty corner from the fire hall picking up people like dropping off people that they'd rescued it was like an episode of mash it right was really really i mean and that's what it was there were helicopters lying on the parking lot in the middle of 12th avenue you're like what is happening people rolling yeah. in here in the massive manure spreaders that have yeah. been picked up from places ladies having a baby in the back of the manure spreader we're like oh, okay yeah this is <laughs> let me get my handbook out it's not in my handbook how do we do this? How, how do we go to these disasters and, and make it through this, right? I mean, I guess it's not like we have a choice. You're going to make it through somehow. But it's uh, like the things that you get to see and do are just incredible, right? And then, you know, to me, it's the best and worst parts of people. You get to see people on their worst day and all their reactions to everything yeah. and how they talk to us. And then you also get to see 
the best in people, right? And the rebuild, all of it. Like, yeah. you know, having both of you having to get your houses fixed and, and to go through things as you're going along. You know, you got to head down the highway 20, 30 kilometers to your other fire station. and Yeah. And that was a, an, an absolute disaster too, because my first day back, so I stayed, I stayed in town. I took, I don't even know how many days off from my, I was working at that point, Foothills, uh, full-time captain there. And I took a tour off maybe or something. I don't know how, don't even remember to be honest with you, but I was in town for like probably a week and a half straight and just everyday working. And then, so I'm like, finally, I'm like, you know what? We're kind of sorted out here now. You know, things have kind of cooled down. We're kind of, we're not, there's no normal, but you know, things aren't happening anymore and we're, yeah. we're kind of getting things organized. And, uh, my first day back, I had got to the hall and we got a call at like nine o'clock in the morning and we're heading west on 22 towards kind of out towards Pritis and did the call and we're coming back. And as we're coming up to 22 McLeod trail, the guy's like, something smells like it's burning. I'm like, I wonder if it's a semi beside us. His brakes are hot as he come off the overpass. I'm like, ah, I don't know. It smells like it's pretty bad. Pulling him a cloud trail. The semi veers off, goes another direction. I'm like, no, I still smell it. What the, what is going on here? So I said to one of the guys in the back, I said, lift the hatch open on the engine tunnel and like, let's see what's going on here. He's so driving down the road. He lifts the tunnel open and all of a sudden this black smoke starts bellowing. In, in your fire truck. In the fire truck. <laughs> I'm like, Close the hatch. So I said to the driver, Max at the time, he was a young kid, beauty of a guy. So we get it pulled over and I'm like, get me a fire extinguisher right now. And I said, you guys get out of this truck and stay away from it. I'm like you're in autopilot mode, right? Yeah. So I grabbed the fire extinguisher from the guys and I lift the hatch open. Well, Max had a brand new set of bunker gear. He's like, he's worried about getting his bunker gear out of the truck. The truck's still running. So the fans kicked on. And the engine's on fire. So now I lift this hatch open and this fireball comes out, burns all my eyebrows and eyelashes <laughs> off. I'm like, shut the truck off. <laughs> right, yelling at him, shut the truck off. So he shuts the truck off and I hit it with a 20 pound extinguisher. And uh, yeah, anyways, I just remember standing in the ditch. I'm like, my house is flooded. I have nowhere to live. And now I just burnt an 800,000 fire yeah, truck. I got to call the fire chief and say, exactly. can I get a ride? <laughs> exactly, right? That's where you just throw your thumb out and start heading down. Oh, there, man, right? I could have just walked home that day. <laughs> oh, sad. So, I mean, out of all that darkness comes so many good things, right? Uh, you know, people got their stuff going together. I know there's lots of bad stories, but um, I think of a lot of resilience and moving forward. And I think that uh, as the community built forward, right? So we're sitting in a fire hall where I think you told me 96, the planning started for this building, right? Here we are 2021 and it's getting done, right? The project manager across from me here is getting, <laughs> getting the thing put together. And, you know, and I think, so those are some of the good things that come out of all of the bad things, right? Yeah. It took time and it, it took, but uh, now as we were walking through and you're talking about the decon and how it's set up and how the public enters the building and, you know, I think so many lessons learned that you could put into a new building when you're ready, right? Yeah. So if, if 2014, they would have said to you, we're going to start building your building. I wonder if you'd have been ready. I wonder if it would be like it, it is today. It, it, you know, we had our plans. Uh, they were good plans. There's nothing wrong with them. But they've, I know looking back at our plans and what he ended up with, there was more thought given into the operation side of it um, with the offices and how people would enter the building. And, and but I think, though, like, you know, you think back to 14, 
there's no way that we would have had the capacity to put any heart and soul into it, right? It would have just been a building yeah, so because hurry up and just get it done, right? right like we've yeah. got 14,000 things going on here. Like, let's, let's just, just get this thing going. Yeah, and, and we were still, the community was still in a, a big rebuilding. Well, in 14, we we're just getting our houses oh, put back yeah, together. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't move back into my house until November. Yeah. Right? So. So it's good, I guess. It, it all comes at the right time for the right reason. You bet, and, and it's nice to see the new chief of the town being able to do it. Um, you got to call him chief when you come here. Later. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the deputy chief who, who I hired back in, um, again, he's been here 20-some years, uh, the deputy chief. So, obviously, he's seen a lot of progress and what was needed as well. So, he's been able to have his input and in the design and i think it's great that these guys the job they've done is just fantastic yeah i, I have to agree with you as we walked around today i was like wow you know, it's, a uh, of took a lot things. of pictures and don't worry folks be able to check it out here right away Proud on Instagram. Moment again. but it's one of those things though it's like you know yeah i might be the project manager but i have a whole crew of project managers that you know, or on top of stuff and pointing things out. It's like, hey, do you think we maybe this would work better, right? And, you know, having the support of the guys. And I got to give hats off to my guys 110%. Since we started this build, it's been chaos here. We've okay. ran into all kinds of problems, right? You can um, hardly tell. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we start the build, COVID starts, and we just had upsets and just you know, typical construction stuff, problems and whatever else. But I mean, my guys have been absolute troopers through this because, you know, it's in the morning, it's like, oh, we need the trucks out. So they pull all the trucks out and then somebody comes in and they just finished cleaning bay floors and they drive a zoom boom across it and they start cutting drywall and now their floors are all mangled, right? And it's like the trucks are filthy and, and it's drywall just, dust is so easy to handle. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's all those little things of like, you know, jackhammering. It'll be a pretty awesome barbecue when it's all done. I'm I, so, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So, so. I, I think they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with this construction. So I think they'll be pretty happy with the, the final product. It's it was really fun to listen to you two, uh, Len and Pat, as they talked about different pieces and you were asking questions about how things fit together. And it's still really cool to see that pride, right? you're retired you're away from it but you still get that your son's the fire chief and you you know still know all the people and and this is what you hoped for this is what you planned for for years right so yeah. it was it was fun for me to walk around with you and and listen to you right it's uh one thing to see the pride on cody's face and and uh, the staff's face but it was quite another thing to be like oh wow they're they're loving this this is beyond what they were hoping for for everybody and it, and it's for your town right it's uh, you're one of those rare guys you started your fire department and you ended at that same fire department it's so rare i think in my career i probably thought i was going to start and finish in the same place made it 30 years and didn't work out that way but uh it's that pride piece that just won't go away right and so that's cool well there's something to be said about you know working in your in your hometown i mean there's significant disadvantages to it you know, when you go to these calls and it's people that you've grown up with or moms and dads that you knew from when you were a kid type thing, you know, there's, there's that side of it, but there's also that piece of when you're doing something, it's also your tax dollars that you're using to do whatever it is you're doing. So you have a little bit more vested interest than if I lived in, you know, in Nanton, let's just say, and I was doing it in however, you still have that interest as a chief because you have to, but there's a little bit more skin in the game, you know, when it's in your own community, right? 
and it's the the fire hole and and my guys are protecting my family right not only everybody else but they're protecting my family just as much as the neighbors right there's something to be said about that too it's awesome we got to shut her down here but i mean <laughs> it's uh i love to see how your mom looks at you right and and uh your dad's like the coolest guy i know just always right but you can see the pride right and and i think that uh i don't think you think of it as pressure i think you just feel that you know you got some people in your corner helping you with the next stage of us and then so that's super awesome for me and i, and I hope that you know someday my son gets to do the same sort of thing right Absolutely. so um thanks for being my friends thanks for being here thanks for having us to be part of your story and and uh it's all grown up fire episode 19 thanks, thanks. you guys thanks, thanks jamie, jamie. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.